Hi, I'm Anjali. I'm a producer here on It's Been a Minute. Hi, I'm Alex. I'm an editor on the show. So, Alex, let's start by actually telling listeners what it takes to make this show. Uh, The process actually begins with pitching. It just begins with throwing ideas out there. And then we actually have to take those ideas and book the people we want on the show. We're taping these interviews with people in studio, sometimes going out to them in the field. And then our producers put their headphones on and they start cutting this massive thing down. And then editors like Alex on our show are actually listening back to it and making sure what we're cutting is working. And then we ship it off to you, the listeners. And before you know it, it's in your ears, in your podcast feeds, and on your radio. We're a bi-coastal team, so we're always sending each other messages and emails, picking up the phone, talking nonstop to get this done. So many emails. And slacks. And slacks. The best part of the show is that you get to be a part of it, too. Every week, you call in and you tell us about the best thing that happened to you that week. And we actually sit down and we listen to all of those. So whether you're on the East Coast or the Best Coast... I mean the West Coast, or somewhere in between, show your support for this show at donate.npr.org slash Sam. After all, we're building a community thanks to you. Hey, y'all. Good to see outside, Betty. This week on the show, NPR health policy reporter Selena Simmons-Duffin and NPR science reporter, Rebecca Hersher. All right, let's start the show. Hey, y'all, from NPR, I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. Happy weekend to my listeners and to my guests. One of my guests just stopped dancing. You were dancing for like two seconds and it stopped. Sorry. It's okay. (laughs) I'm still dancing. That is the voice of Selena Simmons-Duffin, reporter on NPR Science Desk covering health policy, joined by Rebecca Hersher, who has yet to dance. But yeah, uh, she's on. also a reporter on NPR Science <laughs> Desk covering climate change, dancing like a robot. Yeah, now you're going to tell me to <laughs> stop dancing. Please stop dancing. Yes, yes. <laughs> all right, all right. I'm so glad that you both are here. It's your first time here on the show. Welcome. Yeah. So, y'all both have some big, important, sciencey, healthcare related stories to talk about this week. And we'll talk about those stories very soon. But to open the show, I want to play you both the wackiest audio I've heard this week. It made no sense to me. Okay. Um, On a red carpet this week, Laura Dern, the actress whom we all love, she was asked by Variety magazine if she had seen Baby Yoda. (laughs) So we all know Baby Yoda is the star of this Disney Plus show, Mandalorian. You've seen the Baby Yoda? It's true. Yes. No, I haven't. I'm sorry. Hurt your helper. See it. Okay. It's like Yoda, but an infant. Extremely cute and also a little alarming, depending on like what time of day you see it. I find <laughs> that if I see it like first thing in the morning, I'm like, ah, whoa. You like them? Okay. Those <laughs> eyes are very large. I think I like it, but okay. it is, you know. Yeah. I think something. I like it is like a perfect distillation <laughs> yes. of Baby Yoda. Yes. But on the red carpet this week for some fancy event, Variety Magazine asked actress Laura Dern, if she's seen Baby Yoda, and she said this. Yes, I did. What do you think about Baby Yoda? Today. What do you think of him? I saw I don't know if it's a him or a he or she. I don't know, but I think he was at a basketball game. That's what all I'm going to say. <laughs> do y'all get it? Mm-mm. No. Do you see no. why I played it That's all week? That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. Why? 
I don't know. <laughs> I see Baby Yoda as just another sign of, like, Disney's quest to actually rule the entire world mm-hmm. and control every waking moment of my media consumption. Yes. Yeah. Yoda is your master. Master Yoda is? <laughs> Anyways, um, I guess we should talk about, like, news news at this point. <laughs> okay. We can do I that. Know. Yeah. I know. News? Uh, we're going to start the show as we always do, having my panelists describe their week of news in only three words. And I think this edition of three words, I kind of want to call it a funny thing happened while you were watching impeachment. <laughs> other news. Mm. Yeah, other <laughs> stuff happened like this other week. Other stuff happened. Other stuff happened. Exactly. So the two of you are going to fill us in. Totally. Rebecca Hersher, you have three words? I do. Okay. okay. So my three words are... What about us? Yeah. What about us? What about us? What about us? <laughs> uh-huh. So I cover climate change. Mm-hmm. This week, might have missed it, there is an international climate conference happening in Madrid. Yeah. Shouldn't this be bigger news? So what's crazy is the climate talks are happening this week. The U.S. is at these climate talks. Yeah. Even okay. though we're, like, not in the climate agreement. Right. Okay. This is my first point. Yes. We are in the climate agreement. Wait, we we're still in, in the Paris we're agreement? We're in it. We're still in the Paris agreement. But Donald so Trump said we're not. Right. It's so confusing. I feel like I just say it all the time. <laughs> I'm just going to lay it out. Lay it out. 2015, Paris agreement. Signed. Yes. yes. Everyone had to make promises about how much they would reduce greenhouse gases. So mm-hmm. we, the U.S., made a promise. We were like, oh, we're going to reduce it by like a quarter by 2025. That goes on the books because we're signed into the Paris agreement. Mm-hmm. An election happens. Donald Trump takes office. He almost immediately is like, we're getting out. Yeah, I remember that. We're not allowed to get out at that point. What do you mean? Like, it's too soon. The Paris Agreement, like, thought of this. This is not that (laughs) revolutionary that, like, there would be an election in one of the countries of the world and the new person might change their mind. So the first day that we can actually be out is the day after the election, 2020. Wait. So November 2020, after we figure out who our next president will be, yes. or the same president. We will be out. Yeah. So then that sets up this weird thing. Yes. So these climate talks happening this week in Madrid, the U.S. still has to send a climate change delegation right. or a few. Because we're in. It's so awkward, honestly. It would be yeah. like family holidays when like there was a divorce. <laughs> and then everyone comes. And you're like, who is involved here? Like, who yeah. speaks for... So we sent a State Department delegation. That's the actual delegation from the federal government. They represent the Trump administration. A lot of them, weirdly, like kind of the backup players there are the same as under the Obama administration. Huh. So it's kind of the same people who have been going to these meetings every year uh-huh. still showing up for us. Hmm. Huh. But they they're, can't say we want to do anything climate change. Well, they're, yeah, they're representing the policies of the American government. And right now those policies are mostly like rolling back the regulations that keep us from emitting greenhouse gases. Huh. So they don't have as much power as they used to have because they come with like no teeth. <laughs> yeah. But they're there. Yeah. But then also, like, aren't there other delegations of like state and local leaders who are exactly. like, we'll do everything because like <laughs> California goes too, Right. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Paris, Paris, Paris. Exactly. And it's like not just California. Too. This is what you'll hear people saying is there's like this other coalition of lots of cities and states and companies like big multinational corporations that are based in the U.S. They send this other group that like basically opens up its own little tent. And says, like, no, 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 this is the U.S. And we're all still in. And we represent, like, more than half of the U.S. population. We're still cutting emissions. And what the coalition of all those people will tell you is that they represent the majority of Americans. Mm. And that maybe they represent the majority of U.S. greenhouse gas emissions. 
the issue there is that because it's not being overseen by federal regulations, it's patchwork. It's, yeah, it's and it's hard, honestly. Like if you are a state and you're operating under federal environmental regulations, for example, mm-hmm. but you're trying to cut emissions and federal regulations are being rolled back. Yeah, like that's like really tough. There's only so much you can do. Yeah. You know, well, promising like, is one thing, but actually doing it is yeah. something else. So then we see this confusion at these climate talks this week, at least on America's end. Mm-hmm. This is the same week in which we see this report on climate change that basically says the climate crisis is, quote, dangerously close to becoming irreversible. Mm. In the midst of all of those things, yeah, Becky rough. Hersher, as someone who covers climate change, <sighs> Are you hopeful that there is a solution? <laughs> uh, yes. But you are. I first have to do my realist. We got to like say what's true. Okay. There are like irreversible effects of belching greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. Yes. Some of those effects are already happening or we're, mm-hmm. are about to happen. Like the oceans are super hot. Species are dying. Yeah. But I see a path to a better future. I'm here so, for that. You ready? <laughs> yes. So... <laughs> It has to do with where the oil industry, where this fossil fuel industry came from in the first place mm-hmm. and like the long arc of history. Because a lot of what I do is like cover these studies that are projecting out to like 2050 or 2100, right? Like we're talking about like by mid-century, by the end of the century. That's a long time. And in 30 years and 100 years, like a lot can change. That's true. Like going from like whale oil to kerosene to like vehicles to gasoline mm-hmm. to like plastics and iPhones. (laughs) Yeah. Like did not take that long. Things change. Yeah. Right. So that's all it is, is like technology can change the economy in like massive ways. And that can happen because like capitalist forces change Mm -hmm. or because like people want a better alternative. And so I just I see like a path on a timetable that could work to like a totally new economy. I like hearing that. I I do too. I love the idea of whale oil coming back. I mean, it's crazy. You're like, wait a second. We went from whale oil to like light bulbs in how long? Wow. This is the first time I've had a talk about climate change that doesn't leave me wallowing in despair. Oh, nice. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. I'm here for that. Appreciate it. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with two guests. Selena Simmons-Duffin, reporter on NPR Science Desk covering health policy, and Rebecca Hersher, reporter on NPR Science Desk as well, covering climate change. Selena, mm-hmm. do you have three words? Your first ever three words on this show. I'm so excited. Okay, these were a little bit easy. The government gave them to me. The they three did. W- <laughs> <laughs> the three words are ready, set, prep. Okay. This is the name of the program that the government rolled out this week. Mm-hmm. It is the first real-life program that mm-hmm. is part of the federal government's plan to end the HIV epidemic by 2030. Okay, Talk that's about, an ambitious yeah. objective. Yeah. Let's okay. tell folks first what PrEP is. Okay, PrEP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. It's a drug regimen. Usually it's one pill that has a couple different drugs in it. You take it every day, and it prevents you from getting infected with HIV if you are exposed to it. Mm -hmm. So people who are at high risk of HIV infection can take PrEP. It's very effective. It has very few side effects, but awareness of it is very low. That's Mm -hmm. the first problem. A lot of people have no idea this exists. It's Mm -hmm. been around since 2012. It's been approved as PrEP since 2012. Um, And the other problem is that it costs, most recently, 
Uh, I got the numbers from Gilead, the drug maker, this week. $1,758 a month. A month. Yes. I don't know. That sounds easy. Yeah. How, that is crazy. Yes. So then this week, the Trump White House is saying, we're going to help lower the cost of this or make it free. Who gets it for free? Okay. So no, this is not changing that price at all. Oh. What it is, is the U.S. government negotiated with Gilead, this drug maker that has a monopoly on prep, uh-huh. and said, can you donate enough of this drug to us for oh. free to cover people who don't have prescription drug coverage. Gotcha. People who pay the list price are people who have absolutely no coverage. Gotcha. And so the CDC did some crunched some numbers and figured out there are probably about 200,000 people who could use PrEP who are at high risk and don't have prescription drug coverage. And so they would be having to pay this giant amount of money. So okay. Gilead is donating that those drugs to the federal government, a uh, little uh, wrinkle in the sunny picture of Ready, Set, Prep is that the government is also paying Gilead $6 million. Wait, wait. So then is it actually a donation? <laughs> they're donating. Wait, what the, kind of donation is this? They're, yeah. they're donating the drugs, but then they're getting paid money to distribute huh. those drugs. Oh, my big question, seeing this news from the Trump White House this week, that it's taking action on HIV prevention, trying to help the LGBTQ community, I was like, does that track with the Trump White House's previous policy stances on other things affecting this community? I'm talking about the trans ban and the military. I'm talking about certain laws and policies that would allow homeless shelters to kick out trans people. I'm talking about the White House arguing to possibly end workplace protections for queer people. Knowing those things from the Trump White House, does this to you, Selena, seem way out of left field? Well, I think you're right to ask the question. I think a lot of people see HIV and HIV epidemic by 2030. Trump White House wants to do this and go like, yeah, (laughs) really? Excuse me? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. Secretary of Health and Human Services Alex Azar has framed this because it is a contradiction. I mean, there's no way around it. Yeah. He says President Trump is interested in solving problems. This is a solvable public health problem. Mm -hmm. But. I mean, the ways that you get HIV have to do with drug use, have to do with your sexual life. And stigma. These are extremely sensitive issues. And this plan really speaks to reaching out to particular demographics of people who are at high risk. Those are vulnerable people. You're asking them to talk about really complicated and personal parts of their lives. Mm -hmm. And we all see this is the same federal government. Like this is, you yeah. can't you can't bifurcate these things. Yeah. So it's a question for the administration how they're going to execute on this goal, which mm-hmm. all experts say is a totally reasonable goal that mm-hmm. really targets the places that have the highest rates of new infections, targets the communities that are at highest risk. How are they going to execute on this plan yeah. when we can all see What's happening in these other realms of life? Exactly. Just to point out, to be clear, you know, in spite of there still being a crisis over this disease, America has made a lot of progress in lowering the rate of HIV AIDS infection over the last several years. And we're in a much better place now than we were, say, what, 10 years ago? Yeah. I mean, I looked it up and 40,000 infections a year is where we've been since like the 90s. And that works out to a 100 new infections every day. Wow. So 
I guess what I'm seeing then in the positive improvement is that people are getting better treatment once they have it. For sure. I mean, it's a totally manageable chronic illness. It's just, Mm -hmm. you know, if we can help people prevent getting infected, you know, you should. (laughs) So then what I hear you both saying is, Becky Hersher, you have hope on fixing climate change. Selena, you have hope on eradicating HIV AIDS. Yeah. Y'all have brightened my news week. Wow. All right. Thank you. Yeah, Thank I you. like landing there. I like yes. That's <laughs> yes. yes. All right, y'all, it's time for a break. After that break, we're going to talk about one of America's sweethearts, Jennifer Aniston. I know, right? She is perhaps the most consistently likable celebrity in recent history. Hmm. But in her newest role on this Apple Plus TV show, The Morning Show, she is full of rage and angry and screaming and throwing fits. And I love it. So after the break, we'll talk with the critic about what that performance says about us and how we feel about letting women inhabit rage on screen and off. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. We'll be right back. As we go to break, give me some rage, both of you. Science rage. (laughs) We'll work on it. Support for It's Been a Minute and the following message come from Green from Amex. A little pep talk goes a long way. Whether it's over a big old plate of comfort food or a comfortable drive out of town with your besties, Green from Amex can help cheer you on. With three times points on restaurants and travel, including car rentals, it's built around your lifestyle so you can keep doing you with an extra boost of confidence. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash Green from Amex. Terms apply. Support also comes from State Farm, whose agents know that your car and home are more than just big purchases. They're a big part of your life. You put the time into making them your own. So now it's time to protect them with your own personal State Farm agent. Not only do they truly get you, but they'll be there for you when you need them. And with over 19,000 agents in neighborhoods across the U.S., there could be one just around the corner. Sponsored by State Farm. Talk to an agent today at 1-800-STATE-FARM or by visiting statefarm.com. NPR will help you find your next favorite book. We asked Ari Shapiro, Nina Totenberg, Michelle Martin, Sam Sanders, and many others to share their picks. Visit NPR's book concierge for suggestions from them and our trusted critics. More than 2,000 titles are waiting for you at npr.org bestbooks. We are back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders, joined by two guests, Selena Simmons-Duffin, reporter on NPR Science Desk, covering health policy, and Rebecca Hersher, also reporter on NPR Science Desk, covering climate change. Science Desk. Science desk. <laughs> Do you have like Wonderful. a catchphrase? What's the science like, desk catchphrase? Hi, we wear Hawaiian shirts. It is uncool. <laughs> there is a contingent of like really nice boomer dads on yeah, your desk. Totally. And they all boomer have, dad is actually a description. They, of they, core. they all have like really intense Doppler radar. So if you need to know exactly oh what time to leave to avoid the rain. On your bike. Really? Yes. Oh, it's intense. I love it. Yeah, that's great. Question for you both. Speaking of biking, Selena, mm-hmm. um, have y'all seen that Peloton ad yet? Oh, my God. <laughs> the one everyone's angry about. Yes. I love it. Describe it for those who haven't seen it. Okay, so it's a guy who gifts his wife this very expensive, like, $2,000 bike. 
And then the, for Christmas. For Christmas. And then the ad follows her, like being like, oh, I'm so nervous and excited to like do my first workout. And yeah. then it, at the end, they watch this video. Because she's like taking selfie videos over an entire right. year of herself biking, a, getting up super early. And then the ad ends with this woman telling her husband this. A year ago, I didn't realize how much this would change me. Thank you. This holiday, give the gift of Peloton. Thank you. <laughs> give the gift she looks of your the wife same. being different. She, she looks, looks well. Also, she was same. she was skinny to the She's start. Emotionally yeah, exactly. changed. Oh. She's emotionally changed. <laughs> As you can guess, the internet was very mad about it. It turns out uh, one day after the ad premiered, in a single day, Peloton's market value dropped by nine hundred and forty-two million dollars. <laughs> Capitalism. That's capitalism. I mean, is I'm that a man. Reaction hard I don't say. know. Y'all are women. Are y'all mad at this ad? It's I mean. not my favorite ad that's ever been made. <laughs> but I will say this: compare apples to apples. A lot mm-hmm. of Christmas ads are like the worst, consumerist, oh, yeah. and sexist. That's true. I, speaking of Christmas ads, I've never, I've never seen anyone buy someone a Lexus for Christmas. Yeah, seriously. Yes, what is the deal with cars? <laughs> with those bows? those bows? With the bow on. Right? Also, I have questions about like insurance. <laughs> like, like, is the car insured? Is it's the, the is registration bike insured. up to date? Like, how did yeah. you do that without my license? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, I bring up this Peloton ad because uh, it led to a response of a lot of female rage, which was fun to see. Mm-hmm. And female rage, women's rage is like a thing that I'm like kind of seeing in the air right now that I'm totally into. Uh, I want to pivot to another example of feminine rage in the culture right now. Uh, Jennifer Aniston's performance as Alex Levy in the uneven yet extremely watchable Apple Plus series, <laughs> The Morning Show. I've been obsessed with this show and Jen Aniston in this show. So I called up friend of the show, Anne Helen Peterson. She writes for BuzzFeed, and she recently wrote this entire essay about Aniston in the morning show uh, and what it says about rage and women and how we allow women to be angry. It was an eye-opening essay and chat. I will play it right now. And as a note to listeners, we include a clip of Jennifer Aniston in the show with some bleeped language. And Helen Peterson, hello. Thanks so much for coming back on the show. I think this is your third time on It's Been it a is. Minute. Look at that. It is. So we are going to talk about Jennifer Aniston for a little bit. Both of us have been watching her really unforgettable performance in this new Apple Plus TV show, The Morning Show. Um, how can we set up her character in that show for those who haven't watched it yet? You know, it'd be kind of like Katie Couric plus Jennifer Aniston, right? Um, Yeah. Like someone who has been on daytime television for a long time is an institution, but then there's also all of this kind of meta commentary that involves Jennifer Aniston as well. That it, for me at least, is part of what makes it so good and so interesting. Because otherwise I think it would just be kind of a a nighttime soap that has some movie stars in it. Exactly. And so like her character, Alex Levy, in this show... She is the female anchor of the most popular morning news show. Uh, And she, in that morning news show way, is like the happy-go-lucky, smiling face of America's mornings. Uh, But just below the surface, when she's off that screen, she is full of this unbridled rage. And it is so interesting to see how angry someone like Jennifer Aniston is in this show. Because for decades now, we've known her as... 
maybe the nicest lady in the world. (laughs) Or at least, like, the lady who, like, keeps it very buttoned up. I want to play a cut from the show, The Morning Show, that really gets at the rage that Aniston, as Alex Levy, channels in this show. I don't want to give too much away, but basically, there's a family crisis of sorts, and... Aniston's character goes to her college-age daughter's college dorm, and you expect Aniston in that motherly way to soothe the child, help her feel at peace. Instead, we end up hearing Aniston's character do this. Life isn't perfect, okay, baby? We don't get everything we want. You're young, you know? Go make the life that you want. You see how easy it is. And stop and complaining and blaming me. And you get your own pizza this is my pizza taking my pizza i earned this <laughs> hearing that and helen i can't help but think that like that is a scream into the dark for like all women of a certain age yeah yeah i think you know both aniston's character on the show and aniston as like the actual living breathing celebrity they're both boxed into this image of like you have to be America's mom, right? Which means mm. that you have to be also nice and amiable and, you know, never too emotional. Um, and also somehow like maintain your body in a way that makes it look like you're 30 <laughs> mm-hmm. in order to somehow still be part of the conversation. And that not only takes a lot of effort, like the other thing about Aniston's character is that she's exhausted. Um, yeah. But also I think sparks a lot of rage. Oh, yeah. Well, there's that opening scene in the first episode where because she is a morning news anchor, she has to get up at like 3.30 and you see her pounding Red Bull and coffee on the treadmill, then like Jade rolling her face at 3.30 in the morning. And it's just like showing us what all women have to really go through. They have to be two people at the same time. You have to be likable and desirable. But if you want to get anything done at a certain point, you can't be those things. Well, and I think... That to me is female celebrity, right? Because you're supposed to be powerful, but also submissive. Because a female celebrity who is too powerful, right, who somehow like shows that they stick up to men in some way or they stick up to other women, they automatically become like a man-eating, undesirable wench. (laughs) And those tropes have been going on. You know, this is something that goes back to Joan Crawford, right? Like there's just so many different examples of celebrities who, if they fail at that, if they, that balance between making people like you while also making people fear you, if it goes too much on one side, Mm. then you become monstrous. Yeah. You know, thinking back to Joan Crawford, there's so many of her roles where she was just the deeply pissed off person behind the mask, the person who wanted to make sure that you feared her. And what Aniston does here that's really interesting in this show is she shows you both sides, the nice, lovable side and the mean, fierce side. Seeing that from an actress as big as Jennifer Aniston on a platform as big as Apple TV, does that maybe indicate that the culture is shifting and maybe more comfortable in showing the ways that women have to be more than one thing all the time? I mean, I always want to say yes, right? <laughs> well, and part of part of the interesting thing about the morning show is like the showrunner is a woman. You know, mm. you have people who are pulling the levers who have a more realistic understanding of how this sort of thing works. And I think you actually see that too in the primary conflict of the show, which is 
really between Alex and who's played by Jennifer Aniston and Bradley, which side note, really funny that they name like the primary adversary in her life, Bradley. Um, oh, yeah. Played by Reese Witherspoon. Yes. But I think, you know, in a traditional show and especially one that's probably run by a man, you would have just like a catfight between them all the time. Mm. And one that's all about age and beauty and like, you know, who is the most vixenish that can appeal yeah. to more people. Yeah. And then it, it has done something much more interesting in terms of they kind of bounce back and forth between allyship and understanding and empathy oh, yeah. and then just like being pissed off at each other. Which is the way that relationships actually work. Sometimes I love totally. you, sometimes I hate you. Sometimes you help me, sometimes I hurt you. Yes, exactly. So I think that like having women behind the scenes and having, you know, these two major female stars who are the the heart of the show maybe has pushed it into a more of a realistic um, direction in terms of like the conversations that we're having about what is acceptable behavior for women. But at the same time, I don't know, they just seem they're so hard, like ideology, patriarchal ideology is so hard to crack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but I will say, you know, thinking about the morning show and how it fits into a broader landscape, th- we've seen a ton of shows recently that are tapping into female rage. Viola mm-hmm. Davis and How to Get Away with Murder. Yep. All those women in Big Little Lies. I could go on. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, yeah. are we in a moment where we're more comfortable watching and experiencing female rage? And if so, is there something in the culture that these roles and these performances are responding to? Well, and even when you think about, like, How to Get Away with Murder, which is, again, you know, Shonda Rhimes, like having a woman behind the scenes mm. who is not only articulating like this, this rage at patriarchy, but also at white supremacy. Um, I do think we are in a moment where people see uh, the enduring ways that like we haven't changed as much as some people would have liked that we would have changed at this point. Mm. Right. Like Mm. stuff like me too, Mm. like took years to come out. Mm. Um, And we have, you know, a president who has been credibly, (laughs) credibly accused of um, sexual harassment and assault and a number of other leaders. So like, there is this like, you know, but we have to still live every day. Right. Mm -hmm. So while making 72 cents to the dollar or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So you have to swallow it every day and then it comes out in different outlets. And I think, you know, people always ask me, they're like, why do you study celebrity? Why is it important? And celebrities reflect back what our society yeah. values and is, is interrogating at a given moment in time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yes, we're reacting with rage to those boxes that have been put around us for a really long time. But what do you do with that rage? Right. Where do you funnel yeah. it? And that's the question that's unanswered, at least at this point. And Helen Peterson, thank you so much. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thanks again to Anne Helen Peterson. She's a culture writer at BuzzFeed. Uh, Selena, yes. Becky, yeah. I just want to play you both that scene of Jen Aniston taking her daughter's pizza one more time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it so. And you get your own pizza. This is my pizza. I'm taking my pizza. I earned this. <laughs> This is my pizza. This is my pizza. I think my uh, favorite part of that is where she uh-huh. calls her baby angrily. Like, yeah. this is like baby. one of my personal favorite things. It's like Terms of Endearment yelled. Yes. Do y'all want to see more of that rage on TV? Mm-hmm. I do. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think I also liked the fact that it was like 
motherly rage. Oh, yes. I appreciate that. I feel like sometimes I show my daughter's rage on purpose. You know? Mm. So they know that you can do it. Yeah, not not like as a weapon, you know, not like <laughs> I'm being rageful for the sake of being rageful, but that like rage is allowed, you know? Yes. Yeah. My therapist says all emotions are allowed. <laughs> That's are. what he tells me. There you That's go. what he tells me. I also uh, like like to the point about like Jennifer Aniston being like the nicest most likable person in America. Mm-hmm. Like I particularly like that I'm assuming, haven't seen mm-hmm. the show, that when she's angry, her face gets angry. Oh which, yeah. Which like it's fun. You love to I see got, it. Like, I just, like, I feel like a lot of women, I definitely have, like, internalized the idea that, like, an angry face is an ugly face and, like, keep it mm. to yourself. Oh. And so I particularly want, like, a very good-looking actress to be very angry hmm. okay. in front of me. Show me your angry faces, both of you. <laughs> into it. Totally into it. Totally into it. All right. On that note, it is time for a break. When we come back, my favorite game, one that will make you happy, not angry. Who said that? You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast and the following message come from The Real Real, the leading reseller of authenticated luxury consignment. Shop luxury clothing, accessories, and fine art at unreal prices. From your favorite designers like Louis Vuitton, Gucci, Cartier, and hundreds more. And The Real Real's team of authenticators from around the globe ensure every item is authenticated daily. Shop in-store, on the app, or at therealreal.com and receive 20% off select items with promo code REAL. Support also comes from Behind the Irishman, the official companion podcast for Netflix's new film, The Irishman. Co-star and comedian Sebastian Maniscalco pulls back the curtain on how the film was made with director Martin Scorsese and co-stars Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, and Joe Pesci sharing their experiences filming the upcoming crime drama. Behind the Irishman is available now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts with new episode drops every Monday. Hey there, it's Alex again. You might remember at the top of the show, we talked a little bit about why you should support public radio. We want to remind you that no matter why you're giving, every donation matters a lot. And there's actually more than one way to give. If you want to get started with your donation to an NPR member station, visit donate.npr.org Sam, or just text the word Sam to the number 49648. We'll send you a text message with a link where you can find your local station and make your contribution. Message and data rates may apply. You can visit npr.org slash SMS terms for privacy and text message terms. Thanks. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with two guests. Who can introduce themselves? Go ahead. Nice. Yeah. I'm yeah. Becky Hersher. I'm a science reporter. Cover climate change. And I'm Selena Simmons-Duffin. I am a health policy reporter for NPR. Love it, love it, love it. It is time for my favorite game, and even more favoriter this time, <laughs> because you both are playing for the first time. Ooh, who said that? Who said that? I'm going to oh, win. I'm so nervous. <laughs> <laughs> so this game is very simple. I share a quote from the week. You have to guess who said it. Or just get a keyword from the story. Three quotes. The winner gets absolutely nothing except bragging rights. Which nice. is relevant because our desks are right by each other. Mm-hmm. So there right. could be some. Yeah. Oh, some oh and if that's there. the case, I should like make y'all a trophy so that one of you can board it over the Make it very large. For all <laughs> yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. All right. First quote. Ready? Yep. Mm-hmm. 
I am deeply grateful for the work in Potter and indeed Downton, but it wasn't what you'd call satisfying. I didn't really feel I was acting in those things. Who said that? Oh, I know, Maggie Smith. Yes. 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 So I love Maggie you, Smith. She's Man, great. Such a she's sick so burn good. Both of those things. <laughs> right? Yeah. Sick burn. So legendary actress Maggie Smith uh, sat for an interview with the Evening Standard recently. And in the interview, she basically says, yeah, I did those big movies and those big shows. But what I really wanted to do was be a thespian and be on stage. <laughs> so oh, my British. gosh. She wanted the stage work. <laughs> do you remember, like, the very beginning of Downton when she goes, what's the weekend? <laughs> do you remember that? No. Can no. I tell you my no. secret truth? No. <gasps> Sam. I, I tried to start watching Downton Abbey no. because everyone said watch it. And for six months, I called it Downtown Abbey because I didn't <gasps> know. But anyways. <laughs> that would be some, a great show. Right? I want Downtown show. Abbey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But anyways, I finally said I'm going to watch this show. I got through the opening credits, and I just stopped it and said, this is not for me. <laughs> I didn't oh, make it past no. the opening credits. I know. Okay. I'm sorry. All right. Fine. Uh, Selena. Yes. You got one point. Yeah! Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Next quote is, music is supposed to bring us together, not divide us. Listen to what you want, and don't shame others for not knowing what you like. Who said that? Mike Pence. <laughs> <laughs> No, there was a big music <laughs> kerfuffle right. this week over an artist not knowing who another artist was. Oh, Did y'all see no. that? Oh, no. Y'all didn't I see did it not. at all. We, no. we missed it. We were covering climate and HIV. Name a big 80s rock band. Just any. They did a lot of Pearl arpeggios. Jam. Pearl Jam was 90s. Becky. <laughs> Van Halen. Oh, oh no. Okay. Van Sorry. Halen. So all right. I will say the question is about somebody not knowing. <laughs> yes, that is true. So it's only fitting that yeah. y'all didn't know. Anyways, that quote comes from Wolfgang Van Halen, son of Eddie Van Halen, of the band Van Halen, defending current pop star of the moment, singer Billie Eilish. She got a bunch of grief recently when she was on Jimmy Kimmel's show and said that she didn't know who Van Halen is. Right. This is where this internet thing came from. That said, like... Of the bands to look up to from yesteryear, I wouldn't put Van Halen on that list. <laughs> That's true. If she had to forget yeah. one, yeah, anyone can play a lot of fast arpeggios with the distortion pedal on. Sure. <laughs> I mean, not anyone. Josh, the engineer, is but. mad at me. <laughs> you know, I'm right though. Who got that point? Ooh. You did. Oh well. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Last one. Ready? Oh, you're, this is gonna be hard as well. I thought it was a German Shepherd or a Husky. I didn't think it was a wild animal. Tell me what the wild animal was. Somebody talking about a wild animal. Someone tried to rescue what they thought was a German Shepherd or a Husky. It was not that. It It was was a wolf. Coyote. Yes. Coyote. Coyote. Yes. Yes. I need that trophy. (laughs) So this story comes from Canada. Of course. Um, It's really weird. (laughs) This Manitoba resident, Eli Boroditsky, he hit an animal one night while driving, thinks it's a dog, does the right thing and says, I'm going to rescue this dog. So he puts it in the backseat of his car and he drives with it in his car to work. It's still knocked out. He goes in the office, says to his colleagues, I hit a dog, but I rescued it. Come look. And one of his colleagues comes out and says, dude, that's a coyote. (laughs) (laughs) So I will say I am Uh from New England. Uh-huh. And versions of this story <laughs> really <laughs> happen all the time. And my favorite one really? is a bobcat. Somebody hit a bobcat and like puts it in the back of her minivan. Stop. And so when the bobcat woke up, she like looked in the rearview mirror and saw it like 
oh my looking god. at her. Oh my like, oh god. Like, oh god. And like pulled over and called the police. I am wow. not that good of a Samaritan. Yeah. Nothing's getting in my car. <laughs> <laughs> Except my dog. <laughs> All right, uh, Selena. Yes. You won the game. <gasps> I did it! Congratulations. Oh, my God. Becky, it's okay. Yeah. We still ne- think I would say great. next time, but, like, this is a global problem for me. <laughs> it's fine. It's, like it's fine. <laughs> All we right. We can solve climate change, but we can't solve, solve Becky's... Becky's ability to keep track of Yeah. News. Well, you know, it's hard. It's too much news. Yeah. Anyways. That concludes Who Said That. Congratulations, Selena. All right, now it's time to end the show as we always do. Every Friday, we ask our listeners to share with us the best things that have happened to them all week. We encourage folks to brag. Y'all do. Brent, hit the tape. Hey, Sam. This is Caroline calling from Asheville, North Carolina. And the best part of my week was that my dog, Hot Tamale, and I got matching holiday pajamas ready for the whole season. Hi, Sam. Hey, Sam. This is Linda from Redlands, California. This is Shayna from the Philly suburbs. Aloha, Sam. This is Crystal from Hawaii. The best thing that happened to me this week was getting cast as Wendy in my school's production of Peter Pan. My therapist looked at me and said, he thinks I'm on the right track. I was sworn in as a township school board director. My little one is in that magical period where he's super, super fat. And so I am excited for friends and family to enjoy all the squishiness. Hi, Hi, Sam. Sam. This is Eliza. And Justin. From Salt Lake City. And the best part of our week was that we went on our honeymoon. Hi, Sam. This is Princessa from Cincinnati. The best thing that happened to me this week is that after two and a half years of my husband traveling 80% of the time, he starts a new position working from home. Our four-year-old twin boys and I are very excited to have our family together again. Hey Sam, I'm Chuck and my son is Raphael. He's 11 months old and the best part of my week was coming home from a conference and my son excitedly came to me and said, Dada, Dada, that's his first word. Uh, My wife feels a little like chopped liver, but uh, it definitely was the best part of my week. Thanks for your show. Thank you. I hope you have a great week. Adios. Bye. Ah, oh, a lot of babies in that one. You know, I, I, have a, I have a best thing this week. That's I'm an easy crier. My <laughs> my baby started walking. <gasps> Finally. What? Oh, Finally. My God. Oh, so you're late. This. <laughs> she's 17 months, so it That's was just okay. like, come it on. Happens. <laughs> But she's now she's doing it. She's gonna it's do it really her whole cute. life. Yeah, can you know? please send me video of this child walking? Yes, I can. Our listeners, oh, they warm my heart. Thanks to all of those folks you heard there. Caroline and Hot Tamale, Kay, Linda, Shayna, Crystal, Eliza and Justin, Princessa and Chuck. We listen to all of these that come in. Keep sharing them. Record the best part of your week at any point throughout any week. Record on your phone and send that voice memo to me at samsanders at npr.org. samsanders at npr.org. All right. This is the part where I have to say goodbye to both of you. No. I'm so glad you were here. This was delightful. It was really fun. This was awesome. Thank you again to both of my guests, Rebecca Hershert, reporter on NPR Science Desk covering climate change, and Selena Simmons-Duffin, reporter on NPR Science Desk covering health policy. Thanks for being here, both of you. This week, It's Been a Minute was produced by Brent Bachman and Anjali Sastry. Our fearless editors are Kitty Isley and Alex McCall. Our director of programming is Steve Nelson. And our big boss, NPR's senior VP of programming, who signs my paychecks, is Anya Grundman. We had special engineering help this week from Josh Newell, who likes Van Halen. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> 
All right, listeners, till next time, thank you for listening. I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon. 